0: happy Easter everybody I am wearing a jacket you like that should I button it I'm not going to um, I'll do the old like put my hand actually my pockets are still like stuck together uh, Never mind. it happens once every seven years so um, I'm actually doing a wedding in a month and I had to get this jacket and I'm like well I need to wear it again so uh, so you guys get the privilege of seeing it today um, don't, don't get used to it uh, could you could you imagine being dead and unaware like being dead and and having no clue about it I always think of the movie the the sixth sense uh which is a, a movie that that I love um you have the character who I'm about to spoil this for you so if you haven't seen the sixth sense I'm about to spoil this for you it's been 25 years so uh and while I'm on that topic if you watch a show and you don't watch it for two weeks and someone posts about it that's not a spoiler, right? Spoilers happen like within a couple of days. So, uh, but this is 25 years, so if I'm spoiling it for you, I'm sorry, plug your ears, whatever. But you've got Bruce Willis, he's the main character, right? And his name is, is Malcolm Crow. And at the beginning, he's counseling a guy uh, and it's played by Donnie Wahlberg. Uh, where are my 40-year-old ladies? New kids on the block, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he's counseling Donnie Wahlberg, so apparently, Stuff was going on in his life. He wasn't hanging tough, and so he decided to go through uh, Malcolm Crowe's step-by-step process. Uh, and apparently, Malcolm Crowe didn't have the right stuff, and so all you new kids on the block fan got it. Nobody else did. Um, but then he shoots him. And so the very beginning of the movie, uh, Malcolm Crowe, Bruce Willis's character, is shot, and then he he recovers, or you think he recovers, and shortly after that, like it kind of flashes forward, and you've got he starts talking to the little like I see dead people kid and so then kind of through that he's helping that kid and they're they're sort of bringing some resolution to some different uh situations and then at the very end of the movie it's like one of the great twists in a movie where as a character as a uh like a watcher you didn't see it coming but what I love about it is the main character in the movie didn't see it coming either all of a sudden you realize at the end of the movie that he's dead and he was dead at the very beginning of the movie. When he got shot, he was, he was killed at the beginning of the movie. And so everything that's happened from that moving forward, like the guy was dead and unaware. Now think about that in life, like if we were dead and unaware, all of the things that we would continue to do, I mean, you'd still go to work, you'd still go to school, you'd still cut the grass, take care of yourself, go to the gym, like all these things that we go, man, I only do these things because I wanna take care of myself. And you'd continue to do them only to find out that you were dead the whole time and just had no idea so i think about that could you imagine being dead and unaware and i think most of us would say like no that's that's fiction that's science fiction but you know the bible describes us as dead and unaware like that that that's how we're described before jesus came into this world before jesus came into our lives And the book of Ephesians, uh, uh, Paul is writing, and he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And the first chapter, he just tells them all of the things that they are. He props them up with the truth of all of the things that they are because of Jesus. And then in chapter two, he takes a step back and says, yes, we have all these things because of Jesus, but don't forget where we were before Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, this is how he describes all of us. He says, once you were dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers of the unseen world he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey god but he says once you were dead so once you either were dead or or maybe you still are dead because of your disobedience and your and your many sins the word sin is actually that paul uses as an archery term it means to to miss the mark. So like, let's say we're all, there's a bullseye in the room and we're all aiming for it. And maybe some of us are better than others, but in the sake of this conversation, none of us are able to hit the bullseye. And there's no points for getting close. There's no points for being the best in the room. The, the only acceptable goal is to hit the bullseye. And because of our sin, we fail to meet the standard. We fail to, to hit the bullseye, which is the sinless perfection of God. And every one of us strives for that. Like every one of us tries to be a good person. Every one of us wants to be close to God, but it's our sin that that creates separation between God and us. We've defined sin as we've been walking through the book of Romans. Just a simple definition of it for us is a sin is anything that we say, do, or think that does not reflect the image, nature, and character of God. So anything we say, do, or think that doesn't reflect the image, nature, and character of God. And when you think about that, there's a lot of things that fall into that. But in that, we're all guilty. in that every one of us has has said things, we've done things, we've thought things that we know do not reflect the image, nature, or character of God. And because of that, it's created this separation. Like when God created humanity, God created us in love to have a relationship with us. And the only thing that could separate us from that was sin. Like, like Like we're taught throughout scripture that God can't abide in the presence of sin. And so the only thing that could separate us from that is sin and every every one of us every day, we're reminded that we have chosen sin and self over a relationship with God. And then in verse number three, he talks about what that looks like a little bit more. He says, all of us used to live that way. And then now he gives us a clue into what he's talking about. He says, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, or you could say of your heart. And by our very nature we're subject to god's anger just like everyone else like following the the sinful desires and inclinations of our heart being dead what he's talking about here is referring to the spiritual condition of our heart like physically we know the day we're born we start doing two things we start living and we start dying but right now you go man i'm i'm not dead right now i'm alive but what he's referring to is because of the sin nature within us the the spiritual condition of our heart we're spiritually dead and incapable of responding to god and it's our sinful nature right the the worst things that we ever do are things that may never be actions they're things that happen at the heart level at the thought level and it's it's our sinful hearts that produce sinful actions but we prefer to see sin as as action don't we like we prefer especially the blatant and obvious ones like we we want to put forth a list of sins like The big ones like murder, adultery, stealing, lying, being a Dallas Cowboys fan, (laughs) listening to country music, or watching The Bachelor. Like We wanna go like, those are are the blatant and obvious ones, right? And that's the way we're wired. We wanna go, well, man, no, that's sin. But what Paul says is, no, what, what is happening beneath the surface that nobody can see? The envy, the greed, the lust, the pride, the ego, all of those things that, that drive our lives, that do not reflect the image, nature, and character of God. Those are all a product of the nature that we were born with. And the reality is if sin can be reduced to an action, more so than being a condition, then we feel like we can cure it simply by changing the action or adding something new to make up for it. right? So like if I had a bad week, well, man, I'll just read a few chapters of the Bible and I'll feel better. For some of you, you're like, man, I'm here on Easter, so I've, you know, it's like indulgences. That means I can have a bad week next week because, hey, I was here today. I'll put some money in the bucket if I, you know, if I feel like, you know, like I did some things that didn't really honor God this week, I'll just, I'll just sort of pay my way through it. I'll join a ministry team, I'll start serving someone, I'll do all of these things. And all the checklist does is it covers up the fact that our hearts don't love and desire God and that in our current condition, We are spiritually dead and it says by nature we are subject to god's anger what what what's happened in humanity is what causes separation between us and god is sin like we like we were born into this world a loving god that desired closeness with us the only thing that could separate us from him is sin we chose sin and self and therefore we have been separated from him in the end essentially what god does is he gives us what we want we choose a path that is apart from him and in the end God says okay you can have the path that you've chosen you can have the path that you want and so we are separated from God and there's nothing that we can do about it we're dead in our sins and powerless to do anything about it that's the bad news but we didn't come here for bad news we came here for good news but the reality is this good news without bad news is just news right what makes good news good is the fact that there's an alternative that isn't good so that's the bad news, that's the reality, that's how we find ourselves. But verse number four, we keep reading, it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Ah, uh, that word saved is, is kind, of a, um, it's kind of a churchy word. Uh, what the word "saved" means is that we, by virtue of our choice, we are doomed to spend eternity separated from God. Saved means that we are no longer eternally separated from God, but we are eternally reconciled to God, and we are now called uh, we are now called children of God. but he says, "But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. I love the first two verses of that verse because every time you read stories in the Bible, you see these stories where To the left of, but God is often despair is often hopelessness is often suffering. And to the right is is forgiveness is hope. Like I I think about my story. So I was born, my mom was uh, 18 years old when she had me. I have an older sister. That's 20 months older than me, uh, that actually has a different father. And so my mom was this uh, 17 year old girl with a one year old daughter and pregnant again, and all of the voices in her life were telling her the same thing. Like if ever there's a situation where it would be justifiable to terminate the pregnancy, like, this is it. Like you're 17 years old, you've already got a daughter. Like, 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 like who, who would want you now? And now you're going to bring another baby into the world. And so, and so I look back now and I'm so thankful that God stepped in because his, because of his mercy and his love, like God stepped in when my mom needed a miracle. Like I look at the way my mother's story unfolded. My mom obviously had me like I'm here, um, (laughs) but my mom had me. And then a few years later, she met a man that married her, that adopted me and gave me a name and made us a family. And you just see all throughout scripture, these stories of God and, and his mercy and his love, graciously stepping in and acting on our behalf. And now our stories become God's story, become part of God's story. Like the, the big picture the story of the Bible, there's only one story. It's that we were dead in our sins, but Jesus came to give us life. That's the story of the Bible. And then now we enter that story and now our story becomes a part of his stories a part of his story and god who is rich in mercy and love acted on our behalf and he he made us alive he made us alive because of jesus and through the person and work of jesus that's what we call the gospel the way we define the gospel here is we say it this way jesus lived a sinless life and he traded his righteousness for my sinfulness when he died for me and he rose again three days later to declare victory over sin and death jesus lived the sinless life like we talked about the bullseye, none of us could hit the target. Jesus hit the target and he lived the sinless life and he came into this world, he took on flesh, he became one of us in every way possible. Right, everything that's true about us was true about him. Book of Hebrews says that Jesus was even tempted but, all, but the only difference between Jesus and us is still he didn't sin. There was no sin within him. He lived the life that we couldn't live and with that sinless life, came righteousness. To be righteous is to have a right standing in the eyes of God. And with that right standing in the eyes of God, he offers every one of us a trade. He says, I'll give you righteousness and in its place, I'll take your sinfulness. Second Corinthians 5, 21 says, for he made him, referring to Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It says, he made him who knew no sin. Like Jesus who had no sin in him, there was no sin in his action, there was no sin in his heart. He became sin for us. Like think about that for a second. That means that that the worst thing that you've ever done, the most hurtful thing that I've ever said, the most depraved things that that we've ever thought or will ever think, Jesus became that. He became that so that we could have life he became that so that we could be reconciled to god so that we could have the righteousness of god in him that we could today have a right standing in the eyes of god by simply believing that jesus lived died was buried and rose again believing that he did the things that he said he did and then he rose again three days later to declare victory over sin and death. Verse five says, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. If you ever, if you ever think about the, the crucifixion, what is one of the last things Jesus said on the cross? He said it is, it is what? It is finished. It wasn't like it's gonna be finished in three days. He said it's finished right now, right? He said the offering, the sacrifice for sin, the atonement for our sins was done. So then the question becomes, well, why why did he rise from the dead? We well, rose from the dead as a visible declaration of victory over sin and death. Uh, his, his resurrection declares to to Satan and all of the forces of evil. Uh, it declares to declare to his disciples, to the Romans who murdered him. It declares to you and I that he's everything he said he is, and he can do everything he said he could do. It was a visible act of of declaring victory jesus in revelation 1 says i now hold the keys satan used to hold them but i now hold the keys it was the victory parade like the the resurrection coming emerging victorious from the tomb it was like it was tiger woods walking up the 18th fairway at the 2000 us open it was long over everybody knew who was going to win everybody knew who the champion was it was just a matter of coordinating the champion as he's walking up the fairway and everybody's applauding him it's when your favorite team wins the super bowl and they have the super bowl party the game is over they've won the title but now we get to celebrate and when jesus emerged from the tomb it was a declaration of victory It was a time to cue the celebration that he is alive and the bible tells us that today he is alive and he is seated at the right hand of the father the resurrection proved that everything that he is everything he said he is and can do everything he said he can do and so we are dead because of our sins but we are made alive because of because of christ and so the obvious question is like okay so how does that happen Like, do I just do like some sort of hocus pocus thing over the room and then we all leave and we're all good? Like, is it that simple or is it, you know, like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, like, you know, click your heels together three times and, and, you know, say there's no place like heaven and then bam, all of a sudden that happens. (laughs) Like the obvious question is, okay, so how do I move from death to life? We tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, God saved you. Remember what that means. It means that instead of being eternally separated from him, we are eternally reconciled to him by his grace. The word grace means getting what we don't deserve. The word mercy means not getting what we do deserve. So God is merciful by not giving us what we deserve, but then he's gracious by giving us a whole slew of things that we don't deserve. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Salvation is not a reward for the good thing we have done, so none of us can boast about it. When you believed. So the question is when you believed what? That you were dead and your sins, but Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again to pay for your sins and to reconcile you back to God. Do you believe that today? Shared a little bit about, obviously, the early years of, of my story, but when I was, 17 years old is when I put my faith and trust in, in Jesus. And I remember growing up, I grew up in a home with loving parents, but I grew up in a home with a, a church background where uh, my view and perception of God was that he was always mad. You know, God was always mad. It was like the Godfather. He was just waiting for you to cross the line so, so he could make you suffer. That's kind of the image that I, that I had of God and God in his mercy and his love, put two people in my life what I loved about these these two guys it was uh Ted Sago and Steve Walker was they invested in my life they became mentors in my life and neither one of them ever tried to to push Jesus down my throat they just lived Jesus in front of me and I got to see him for who he was and I reached a point where I had a lot of questions I'm sure you got a lot of questions. I reached a point where I had a lot of questions, but in spite of the questions, I knew that I believed that Jesus lived, died, was buried and rose again to pay for my sins to reconcile me to God. And at 17 years old, I said, Jesus, in spite of all of the things I don't know, in spite of all the questions I have, and listen, I've got a bunch of questions still. Like when we get to heaven, there's gonna be a line And I've already asked God if I could be at the front of the line and I'm going to take up a few days because there's a lot of questions, There's a lot of things I don't understand. I can't reconcile things that he's allowed that don't make sense to me. But in spite of all of the things I didn't know, in spite of all of the questions that I had, I knew I was ready to say that I believed. So he says we're saved when we believe. So when we believe that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again to pay for our sins to reconcile us back to God, and then when we confess, right? So belief precedes confession. You believe in your heart and then we confess it with our mouth. I'll have you bow your heads with me just for a couple of minutes. I just wanna ask you a question. Do you, do you believe that to be true? do you believe that Jesus lived died was buried and rose again to pay for your sins to reconcile you to God and if you believe it to be true then you confess it all you do is you just tell God right now right where you are just tell him I believe I've got questions there are things I don't know things I can't understand but in this moment the one question I can answer is yes I believe I believe that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again to pay for my sins, to reconcile me back to God. The Bible tells us that when we, when we do that, when we believe and we confess, that instantly the transformation happens and we move from death to life. And today, that's what, that's what Easter's about. The cross, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, the spear in his side, the empty tomb. It's all about moving from death to life. Believe and confess, and I'm gonna invite you to do that right now. And we're gonna baptize this morning. Uh, Baptism is, um, uh, is, is a physical representation of all that we've been talking about. So baptism, doesn't save us baptism is something that we do as a declaration that we have been saved that we've moved from from death to life and so to give you an idea of of what's going to happen you're going to see people in the in these tanks and uh when we baptize them we ask them the question have you given your life to jesus and are you going to follow him for the rest of your life and then we baptize them what we say is we say we baptize you in the name of the father son and the holy spirit buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in new life. We're buried with him, and we're raised with him. And so you believe believe and you confess, and then you have an opportunity to make a public declaration that you're following Jesus. We've baptized 19 people already this morning. Uh, We have another, I think, seven or or eight that are getting baptized already in this service. And I wanna invite you uh, to join us. Like maybe you're wired like me, I'm a little bit more spontaneous and kind of uh, make quick decisions. Like maybe you've come to generation for a while or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you've never been baptized since you decided to follow Jesus as a physical declaration that I'm following him. And we want you to have an opportunity to join us this morning. Now you may say, man, I'd love to do that. That sounds awesome but I don't have anything to, to wear. We have clothes for you to change into. You say, but uh, Clark, my hair ain't gonna look right. Um, we, I've never said that. Um, uh, but we've got uh, hair dryers. We've got deodorant. Uh, some of you already need that. Uh, we've got deodorant. Uh, we have everything that you need to leave here today looking exactly how you look right now, good or bad. But I want you to have an opportunity to take this step, to publicly identify. We've had, I think, five spontaneous baptisms uh, a part of the morning already. And I want you to have an opportunity. Maybe you say, well, man, my, I'd love, I wish my grandma was here. She'd wanna see it. We hired a photographer and we got video. L- listen, if, if you're sensing this is a move that the Holy Spirit wants you to make, and you're wrestling with it, the only thing that stands between you and doing this is whether or not you wanna be obedient to that voice. We've got everything you need. We've got towels, we've got everything. So I'm gonna have you stand up and here's what we're gonna do. Some of the people that are getting baptized have already gone to the back, but go ahead and stand with me. And I'm gonna pray. And either while I'm praying or as soon as I get done praying, if you wanna join them, like maybe this is something you've been wrestling with for a long time, Maybe this is something you just, this morning, you're like, I'm just, I know, I came here this morning knowing I'm ready. You have an opportunity to join us and we want you to do that. So I'm going to pray and as, as, uh, as soon as you feel led, that back door right there, we have somebody waiting in the lobby, they're waiting for you. They'll walk you back to show you the, the clothes, the towels, everything you need, where to get changed, all of that stuff. If you've got someone with you that you want to come in this room and, and watch and participate, bring them with you. But if you wanna do that, your opportunity is right now. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna do this. So Jesus, we come before you. We do this as really our gift to you, our offering to you. And we just pray that you would be uh, magnified in it, that you'd be glorified in it. I pray for those right now that, that may be wrestling with it, that they've, they've, they've known, man, I need to do this, but it's just been something they've been hesitant to say yes to. Give them the courage to take that first step. The hardest step you'll ever take is the first one. Know that we love them. We're here to support them. And give them the courage to step out and to join us in uh, this opportunity to declare to the world that we're following you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen.